0: Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host Ava Cummerford and I'm joined today by Chloe Bloxham and Chris Coughlin to discuss the social media discourse around Liverpool.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So you can probably guess that the reason we're having this discussion is the ridicule. That Darwin Núñez has faced since he joined Liverpool and made his sort of preseason debut. So it all kind of kicked off from a miss in the uh, game against Manchester United in Thailand from pretty close range, and then there was sort of like one or two like clumsy moments in that game and against Crystal Palace as well. But the, the sheer quantity of of ridicule, like I say, that that he faced was was kind of off the charts, really, for the stage that he was at. The, not, not even playing a competitive match so it's pr- kind of an opportune moment to discuss what this tells us about football Twitter really um, and obviously Nunez uh, responded to the to the critics with uh, his four goals against Leipzig the other day and there was actually a moment where you could see a little exchange between him and Jürgen Klopp on the touchline and who knows if, if that's what was being referenced and this is Sort of significant, really. And people would look at it and say, oh, it's just Twitter. It's its own little sort of echo chamber. It's not actually reaching the players. But we've seen Nunez tweet about it, or certainly with a pointed tweet, we've seen Klopp asked about it in press conferences. And there was an Instagram post from Harvey Elliott the other day as well, which suggests that it's kind of filtered through the dressing room, too. So I guess the place to start, and I'll come to you first, Chris, um, seeing as you're I mean, you've made a few appearances on the podcast now, but you are still like, technically, I guess, I suppose. Um, it is this like the strangest narrative around the preseason sign, and that you can remember, and maybe just beyond that, it's just one of the strangest things. It, it kind of makes me feel a little bit like I'm going insane, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, hi, hi, guys. Um, it it's a it's a crazy one for me. Um, I'll I'll go straight in and say first of all that. When it was being talked about at the start of the summer with regards to who um, different people would want as a uh, forward to come in, I will say straight away that I said Darwin Nunez was my first choice and whether he turned out to be a good signing, whether he turned out to be a bad signing, that, is, that was my opinion. I want If I had to choose, I wanted Darwin Nunez, of course we could talk about Haaland but the finances just meant that was completely unrealistic. And I've just had a look then while you're doing the introduction then. He played accumulatively against Manchester United and against Crystal Palace. He played an hour accumulatively. And bearing in mind in the United game, it was three three teams, half an hour each. Against Palace, there was a bit more game time, but still a fair bit of rotation. And we do live in an era now, don't we? where every little thing has to be picked up and people can't just go about their business in a way that they want to, in a way that they might be able to improve by themselves. The demand is just so instant. And I was thinking to myself a few examples, I I presume you two saw the video that went around about Torres' friendly debut as well uh, back in 2007. And again, Fernando Torres, did not have the best of days that afternoon, but then the rest was history in terms of how we hit the ground running. And it's just, it's just incredible really that people just latch on to things and almost enjoy to knock people down. And I think the fact that Darwin Nunez responded to that himself was a bit telling because a lot of people nowadays might just hand over their media and Twitter accounts to their social media team or people that control that side of things, like agents, etc. But I get a feeling Darwin New is someone that has control of his own account and is, is happy to do that, but that also means that you see a bit. And Klopp said after the game, didn't he, that he doesn't think it's a good idea for players really to see it, but it's the world we live in now. And I just it, it, it really was incredible, but it, it reached the point as well, because I know we're just talking about pre-season friendlies here. I wanna I wanna get your your guys' opinions on this. it, it reached the point where when he scored the penalty against Leipzig it was a borderline celebration for a penalty in pre-season just to see him get off the mark and again that's nothing on him, it's just the fact as you say Dave the criticism that's going towards him I had to, to just leave Twitter alone for a few days because I just thought, I thought I was going insane to be honest with you because how you can make such a judgement on someone when they haven't kicked a competitive ball Nonsense, absolute nonsense.
0: I mean, there's a few things to pick up on there, I guess. I I was gonna say, I did keep, I did just start (laughs) talking and I just went on. No, 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 it's just that you made so many interesting points. Um, I mean, to start with the actual penalty, uh, against against Leipzig, that obviously kind of opens his accounts, if you like, in inverted commas. I remember my reaction at the time was kind of like, as soon as I saw Diaz kind of go down. I was thinking to myself they're probably going to let Nunez have this um because obviously it's Salah like generally he probably isn't going to hand it over but with it being a pre-season friendly and with the dressing room being aware of it like I said earlier there's probably more evidence of that really yeah. it seemed like the thing that was going to be done and it wasn't to be fair he barely squeezed that penalty in like it wasn't a great <laughs> yeah. penalty um but I think it was interesting as well how he does score, you know, three more goals after that. And, and I mean, it wasn't, you know, the best four-goal performance you're ever going to see. I mean, there was, one of the goals was, was a shocking goalkeeping, to be fair. One of them was was a tap-in, but, you know, there's their own kind of beauty in them, I suppose. And then there was one, to be fair, that was you know, just a really accomplished finish. But what I think it showed was, again, coming back to the kind of narrative that had had been picked up on, is Trent saying as soon as he gets his first goal, it'll be like London buses, and then they all kind of come. So it's like, it seems to me that there might be that kind of psychological narrative this season. I don't know if it's too early to say that, but just in terms of Nunez will now feel like he's got something to prove, I think, more so than he would have generally. Um, because of this early reception that he's faced. And that might actually work out as a good thing and there might be drawbacks to it as well. But I think in terms of his kind of engagement with the criticism, which we'll come on to a little bit in a second, but I just think that he is such a young player. And obviously he was on the, you know, the radars of everyone in Europe, um, really off the back of what he did last season. But I think the level of sort of publicity and scrutiny Compared, you know, at Benfica and at Liverpool, you know, it's kind of off the charts, really, the increase. And he is the Sadio Mane replacement. He's potentially the most expensive sign in, in the history of Liverpool Football Club. Like, I think it's, I think it's natural that like, he's going to have to adjust to that. I think that that was part of that process. But what it's I would no say, there's just
1: no hiding place. There's just no hiding place nowadays. That's the thing. Isn't
0: and it? and that's yeah, that's exactly what I was I was g- going to say. Then it's like it almost makes you wish that you know, obviously it's good for us. As of both fans because we get to see new players we get to see academy players and we get to see you know tactical innovation things like that um from preseason. and it's so accessible now but it almost makes you wish it wasn't and even beyond that like you're seeing footage from training sessions and that i think i think that went viral when he missed a couple of chances from sort of crosses into the box or something so yeah what you mentioned there, Chris, in terms of everything being scrutinised, it's like it almost makes you long for kind of earlier days where you didn't have that accessibility in some respects. But uh, Chloe, um, we've got to bring you in on this now, because we've kind of just been talking for ten minutes like, without getting your your opinion on it. What, what have you, I guess, just before we move on, what have you kind of made of this whole bizarre situation?
2: Not much, to be honest. Um <laughs> It's Twitter. It's social media nowadays. That's exactly what you're going to get. Um, he was eighty-five million. A lot, a lot of money. Um, you can look at it any other way. It's a lot of money for a player who's actually only twenty-two. Um, and we we talk about this player. You know, when he was playing for Benfica in the Champions League, there were many teams, many sets of funds who wanted him in the summer transfer window, including the likes of Manchester United. So when when things I mean, someone's very sad to sit there and make this entire completion of these misses, but at the same time, it's always gonna do that because A, it's gonna get views, it's gonna get likes, it's it's a part of social media nowadays. You're always gonna get ridiculed, especially if you're worth eighty-five million um at the young age that he is. And um yeah, he, he missed a sit against Manchester United, but it it's for me, it wasn't, we've seen it happen before. Um, it was just like, I think what I've done compared to a lot of other people is <laughs> LFC Twitter is not actually match and go for it, match, match going fans. It's, it's not. A lot of LFC Twitter is people who sit behind the keyboard and type stuff that can be controversial to get people to follow them, to get an audience um and i didn't know none of none of the people who i follow who i know go to games commented on anything or um mentioned anything and i think that is just social media nowadays and i didn't like the fact that he responded to it on twitter that's not my style of thing um he did he silenced them by playing his football and that's the best way you can do it so you like you post on twitter if that helps you personally sure but at the end of the day the way you go and prove these doubters wrong is to just go and put the ball in the back of the net. And he did that four times um against Leipzig. So I mean, yeah, there was a load of stuff on it, but that is social media nowadays. That is the the world that we are in. Um and at times it can be extremely damaging to a person's mental health. Um, and that, need, that that's another aspect of it. You know, he's got a very good support system around because he is only a young lad getting his massive move to Liverpool. So it could have had a, an effect on him, but the people surrounding him very, very, very um, strong. You know, they've got how much staff at LFC, um, the players around him, you could see how happy they were for him. Salah, you know, if, if that's Fulham uh, uh, in the in the Premier League, no matter what Nunes' form is, Nunes isn't getting that ball. Um, He's not getting that penalty. So it was good that it was in a pre season friendly and he's off because that, you know, Salah was nice enough to give him it. If that's in an actual competitive game, he's not getting that penalty. It's just that simple. So um, there was, I I just took no notice of it, to be honest. Literally no notice.
0: But I I guess that's the thing, really. It's like, me personally, I don't really read anything into pre season. Like, I remember. Do you remember what what season it was that um, we played Napoli in uh, in Dublin? It's the year we won it. Yeah,
2: it's the year we won the league.
0: They beat us 3 0. And that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. Like, we were terrible in that game. And the fact that we then obviously went on to win it afterwards really kind of hammered home to me that I don't need to pay any attention to kind of performances or results in pre season. Um, And I guess that's kind of on an individual and collective level. So I don't I don't read into it from that point of view, but I guess it's like it's like you say, Chloe, because he has engaged with it, I think that's what makes it significant. And that's kind of why we're having a discussion, really. If it was just kind of this thing that was happening in this sort of corner of Twitter, then you know, maybe not, maybe it's just something you can just brush aside. But I think it's kind of clear that, you know, there is that awareness of it. Um, to be fair. And one thing I should say is, you know, I don't think we're pretending that there aren't members um of our fan base who you know would do this for other signings as well like it's like like you say chloe it is just the nature of um the nature of social media um and and twitter in particular at the moment but i guess to to move it on and it's something you've both mentioned about young players looking at twitter and and engaging with it um actively and Kind of searching their names, like I saw the other day, Nunez tweeted a a compilation uh, that had been posted by a, a Liverpool kind of fan account of all his goals at Benfica. So he he does seem to run his own social media. He does seem to kind of actively engage with content about him. Chris, what do you think of that? I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's like on the one hand, maybe they shouldn't do it, but on the other, they should also have the freedom to do it without maybe facing some of the ridiculous uh, criticism that they do.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking earlier today, and this is just a very kind of quick off topic. You know, we talk about social media and opinions. It's just so easy to tweet something in seconds. Obviously, social media wasn't around in 1999. But when Thierry Henry joined Arsenal, in his first eight games, he didn't score. Could you imagine all the Arsenal fans if if, if Twitter had been around at that point saying, oh, get this lad out of the club. He's awful. He'll never come to anything. There still might have been Arsenal fans doing that, sat at the pub holding pints, chatting about how poor they thought this Henri lad was. And look how that turned out. So, it's, um, it's a completely different world, isn't it? Because you can just say something instantaneously in the public, whereas you can also say at the same time, to someone in the pub, and it doesn't mean anything as much.
0: If you think about what it would have been like then, it's like, I feel like the whole kind of flop. Yeah, fl- it's,
1: it's flop, such a, flop it's culture such a in
0: way. word to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think that would have, I think that's been something that has kind of existed for a while. Like I think that would have been kind of like tabloid press, it goes, out game's outscored, and that label's probably getting tossed around um, in the newspapers and, and that kind of coverage. But you are right. How much does it magnify it when you don't just have the newspaper saying it, but you've got that plus, you know, the whole sort of, well, not the whole fan base by any stretch, but you've got a lot of people on Twitter, mostly supporting other teams who are saying it, and you you become aware of that. I think that just adds so much to the pressure, and it can be a bit of a toxic environment, but um, Chris, you just kind of, Carry on with the sort of
1: yeah, sorry, the young, um,
0: the young player side, and then Chloe, I'll I'll bring you in because I know there's something you want to say on this as well.
1: Yeah, on on players control their own accounts. If you're able to do it, fantastic. For some players, you you might not like the pressure of it. Um, you might not like the the scrutiny that comes with it. Um, I, for myself, I mean, I I, I don't mind it. If um, I remember when. Uh, Say I know he's retired by this point, but I met John Arne a couple of years ago, and then I did a tweet saying, "Oh, you're great to meet John Arne today." And I got a you, know, you as a young lad, you know, you get a like from someone that you were watching as a youngster. You think, "Oh, it's fantastic," and he liked my tweet, and you know it was all great. Um, but I think from young players, look, if you can control what you do, because sometimes I don't like being. I'm trying to be on my phone a lot less, which is which is difficult with the job, but. Sometimes you end up glued to your phone and it's not healthy. So if you can control what you do on there and don't get riled by it of criticism that comes your way, because there's always going to be someone that says something, then if you can control it, by all means, yeah. But if you feel more, more comfortable, handing it over to someone else to control, that's OK as well.
0: And what I've kind of just been reminded of is, do you remember when Aldum left Liverpool? or it was certainly mm-hmm. in the in the final knockouts of his career. I'm pretty sure he did an interview where he was like, I think he might have actually talked about the distinction between the sort of two sets of kind of yeah. groups in the fan base. It was like online fans um, who, a lot of them were sort of hostile to Alden because he, I guess it's just kind of the nature of his role. It's just like there was an association made that he was kind of useless just because it was very understated what he was doing. Um, obviously, you know, people who kind of, Understood football, I guess knew that his contribution was actually quite important. But you know, he's someone who he, he was kind of like late late twenties, uh thirty kind of territory, and you know he's obviously aware of that. And I think that was, you know, maybe some people would argue that that was something that played into the decision around the future, or you know, it could it may not have been that it could have just been a uh, contract related. But I'll have to throw in my most famous name. Seeing as, I mean, it doesn't does to get to, a like off. Yeah, but doesn't compare to Risa at all. Um, but basically, I remember Asmir Begovic referred to a clean sheet as a cleanie. Um, so I so I quoted his tweet saying, um, "I'm not sure this is an acceptable kind of thing." Obviously, obviously, just like thinking that as a, as
1: a football phrase.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which which it isn't. But so he so he he then liked that, which I was like, well. I have just kind of slightly insulted you there, but you know, fair play, <laughs> fair play Asmir, And you know, he did it while he was at Everton as well. So guess it's a bit of a, a betrayal on his part um, to like it, but that was a quote of his tweet as well. So it wasn't like, maybe he didn't seek it out too much, but anyway, incredibly tangential. Chloe, um, I'll let you say what you've been wanting to say.
2: I have not really been the, the thing is, is um, I don't look into it because this happens all the time and Unless so someone you look at us, if we're clapping our job, we get sacked. It's just that simple. We don't get the A, the money that footballers are on. Um, the hype that the like football is the biggest watch sport. In, in in England, it's the biggest sport. It's mental how much money is in football now. So when these players do go for this much money and are on this much money and then they don't play well for whatever reason, it is a bit, you, you're always going to get criticism. I mean, I don't know how many times Timo Werner missing has made me smile because he's a rival footballer. I don't want Timo Werner to do well because that means Chelsea do well. It's that simple. No one wants Darwin Nunes to do well because then that means, oh, they've filled the spot that Sadio Mane can guarantee Liverpool 20 goals a season. If Darwin Nunes is crap, other fans want that, of course he do. Because it means Liverpool have got to find another way to 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 get goals, yeah. And they've spent eighty five million on a player who's awful. Lukaku, a hundred million. They, Chelsea spends a hundred million on Lukaku, and he was absolutely shambolic. So uh, this is just normal things, I, I think. Yeah, them going through pre-season and making a forty second complete like <laughs> that's a bit too much. But seriously, do I want Sterling to do well next year because he plays for Chelsea? No, absolutely not. No, I don't. And this is just this is just what it is. I think this is also the thing that we all get stuck into is the fact that no rival fan wants a new signing for a a rival club to do well because it then therefore means that there's something for the other team to be happy about, and you don't really want that. Um, That's just the competitive nature of football. It's how much passion, let's say, is in the game because um, uh, if 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 no. Unless Liverpool win the Champions League, I don't want any other English side to win the Champions League. I don't care who it is. It could be Leicester. I don't want you to win the Champions League. And that is because, if it's not Liverpool, I don't want anyone else from England to. That's ours. And I, I just think a lot of people, people take it for jokes on, on, on social media and to get likes and all these other things. But in reality, it comes down to that either a bit worried when we signed them that he's actually going to do well um, B, it's taking the mick out of player missing from five yards out, which I've done plenty of times. How many times have I liked something from a player missing from five yards out? Because you, you're actually stunned by the fact that they've missed it. It's funny. It's funny if it costs them something in a game. I'm not laughing directly at the player. I'm laughing at the fact that the scenario and what they've missed. And and, and like, I laugh at Chelsea for spending £100 million on a player that's gone back to AC, uh, in summer land for £9 million. That is stupid. It is that is the Chelsea way, and they've done it how many times? And that's funny to me. And I think a lot of people get the backs up over it. A lot of people are a bit stupid for in the first place making something like a 40 second video of something that's pre-season where the lads literally only just came into the into the team. Um the the real business is done when in, in competition. Um but any any big miss that Darwin Nunes misses is going to go viral on Twitter. That is just where we are. That is social media. And there's no point in getting absolutely riled up about it unless someone's getting death threats or something seriously horrific. If someone's just joking about a, a, a rival player missing a, a, a shot, well, I'd laugh if I switched it round. I'd laugh at that as well. If I was watching City and Harlem missed, I'd laugh. I would. Because that's just what we're, that's, I don't want them to do well. It's funny players missing stuff. But if it becomes a massive, big, serious thing, then that's when we should step in. But someone just taking the mick out of someone missing something, um, that happens every day in football.
0: And I think, you know, it was something Klopp said himself. He was like, our fans probably, I think he said, our fans probably do it with Newman United signings as well. And really, that's kind of what you, what you touched on there. In a way, i it's like we kind of can't claim that it's just an exclusive thing to like rival fan bases doing this, but I kind of want to pick up on something else you said there and think about whether Liverpool are kind of a bit unique in this respect, because I remember... Um, I guess it was mostly magnified on the final day of the season because after the Champions League final, I basically went on a bit of a phone blackout for probably... Well, certainly that night, anyway. Um, And and mostly the day after as well, to be fair. Um, But it was more so after after the final Premier League game when not only on social media, but in the stands at Anfield. Um, I wasn't actually at Anfield, but I'm pretty sure the Wolves fans were cheering and when the news came through that, that City had scored. And, you know, you're like, well, they're just kind of trying to rile the fans that they're kind of next to. Maybe that's just fair enough. But then it's the fact that you've got Man United fans in the away end who were cheering the news that they were getting while they were getting beat by Crystal Palace of of Man City winning the title and obviously coming back against Aston Villa. And it just made me feel like, like I said earlier, it made me feel like I was going insane in a way because the sheer desperation, I think, for Liverpool to fail is unbelievable. Like, and I think it says a lot um, about really ha- just how successful they've been um, in the Jürgen Klopp era. And that was really what hammered it home for me. I think the word quadruple was trending. And the whole thing about the quadruple for me was, like, it always seemed to be an external thing that was put onto us. It wasn't like, yes, you. I, I think Trent and Salah maybe posted things on social media, which would have been like, you know, we're going for law four. So there's that. But I think a lot of it was kind of outside pressure and we never really brought into that, to be honest. I don't think people expected us in our fan base to win the quadruple. They just hoped that we could do it as a dream, really. So what does this say, Chris, that this whole Nunez thing and this kind of unprecedented level of scrutiny in pre-season for a and what does it say about the size of Liverpool as a club, do you think, because... It's like Chloe said earlier, an 85 million signing, potentially the biggest in the club's history, Liverpool's track record with recruitment is is probably the best of all the elite teams. So there really is just a complete and utter desperation for, for him to fail and kind of as a consequence Liverpool to fail within that.
1: I think it shows the size and success of Liverpool right now in terms of one of the biggest clubs in world football, in such a short space of time, and you're right to say that when um, Klopp came in, there what you know it was an interesting period to say the least, and it has just gone from strength to strength, especially since, uh, especially since 2019. Um, I think it's important to say as well with, with Nunez, obviously potentially 85, and I was thinking about this earlier, or earlier in the week because I saw an article quote 85, and of course we've said 85 here. But it'll only be eighty five if Liverpool and Darwin Nunez are successful as a team and personally. So that's something important to point out as well. I'm not saying sixty four million is cheap, but there are obvious add-ons linked to success. And uh, you know, I, I did agree with a lot of what Chloe said because ultimately, the better you are, there's going to be other there's going to be people that don't like it, and the more successful you are, there's gonna be people that don't like it as well. Um, you know, not just in football, you look at celebrities, and a lot of people really say there's a successful celebrity. Um, unless they're like literally someone that you just cannot dislike. There'll be people that maybe are jealous of them or whatever, but it's because they wish that they were them and it's wish that they had the success in life. And it's another avenue of what we see because he was so scrutinised from the off. Um, And I personally don't believe that you can't read anything into pre-season just because, say, for example, with Nunez's goals, I'm glad he's off the mark in pre-season. Of course, if he didn't score in pre-season, then hits 30 to 40 in the season, there really was nothing to worry about. But I just prefer the fact that he's got used to the goal scorer in front straight away. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the, the higher you get, the more people that may want to knock you down. And it's a consequence of being so successful and ultimately being in a position where a lot of other clubs want to be. Like j- Just for example, very quickly, um, you know, only winning a double, for example. Yes, there was an element of deflation, of course, because you want the Premier League, you want the Champions League. But how many clubs could we name right here, right now, that would love a domestic cup double. And we'd be a a very long time.
0: I mean, I think there's there's ninety-two clubs, isn't there? Um, kind of in the pyramid. In the EFL, yeah. I, I think you can kind of take out Man City. Uh I mean, how many more clubs beyond Man City would would not would not take that? At the well, say the same example.
1: You know, Chelsea. Obviously, we you know beat Chelsea in the two finals. Yeah. Chelsea win that. Chelsea win the cup double. It's a great season for them.
0: I think so. I think you're right. Um, and, and just to touch on the the preseason thing again, I think you know there are certain things you can read into. It. You know, you look at Everton getting beat. Um, was it four nil by Minnesota the other day? And you know it's not representative i mean minnesota for example are kind of in their season i think um in the mls but halfway through i think yeah you look at it and you're like in the context of what happened last season and them coming so close to being relegated it's a scare for them i think um and you know the comments that thomas tuchel has been making about chelsea's lack of commitment you're like it's something bubbling away there so you know things do there are there can be signs in pre-season um but I think a lot of the time, it's like, really, as soon as, you know, as soon as it starts against Fulham um, in a couple of weeks, or even against Man City um, next weekend to a degree, it's like, all all of that kind of should be forgotten, really, um, aside from just kind of random things popping into your head. Um, and that's really what I think you've just got to kind of have the perspective on, um, whilst you kind of, when you're kind of in this period now, you're like, it's the only football you've got you know, you've got to kind of step back from it a little bit. But, um Chloe, what do you think about this?
2: Um, I mean, I just think there's no point in looking into it, to be honest, because pre-season for me doesn't really mean anything. The pre-season to me means get back into the rhythm of playing football, get your fitness correct, um, get your mind set and your body set in terms of being in situations. The only way in football, how you get back to full strength is being in those situations we mentioned Virgil van Dijk how many times he got injured came back and was still good but the only way for Virgil to push his body and to know how ready he was was for, to him being in those situations within a football game and doing it practice is one thing you know training is one thing but the only way to actually know where you are and know your limits and everything on your body is to be in a game. Get your mind working in a football game, knowing people's runs, knowing your positions. You only get that when you're actually in a game. Pre-season is that, just that for me. I don't care whether we win or lose. I'd like to win, of course. But United beating us 4-0, I wasn't that bothered over. It, it's it's pre-season. We have three different teams, loads of kids out there getting a run in. It was you know, to travel the world and let fans from everywhere come and be able to experience a football game, to experience Liverpool, to see these players. Um and yeah, Darwin Nunes all I needed from Darwin Nunes was to see the style of player he was. And I seen that I seen his runs. You know, he was constantly on the shoulder. His runs were really good. People just struggled to find them. He got a shot on target from a really tight angle against Manchester United. That's good. We know that he's got some power in the shot. He knows exactly where the goal is. That's all I needed. He's now got a goal. Great, that's even better. And I think the only thing about pre-season that I need is cohesion of the football team, is for these players to get used to each other. Because Darwin Nunes is new. You saw him when he was playing with Diaz. And Salah, they didn't know his runs. They didn't because they're so used to the front three that they're in, and Darwin Nunes isn't that. The Darwin Nunes was always in the right place, but the final ball wasn't always correct or perfect for him to run on So, And yet when Harvey Elliott and Carvalho came into the team, these are players that don't play in a natural front three. You know, they're usually not wingers anyway, they're usually in midfield somewhere. So the, the it was the case of, okay, I'm just going to play what's in front of me. And it works so well with Darwin Nunes because all he did was they adapted to him in the way of, we're not used to playing in a front three, so let's just play what's in front of us. Darwin Nunes is on the shoulder here, I'll put it in behind, this, side. And it worked and it was really good. Um, so pre-season I don't look into. Every single player in football is going to get ridiculed. You're just going to have to live with that. It's just that simple. And if no-one by now, no Liverpool supporters, if you do not know that Liverpool is one of the most hated clubs in the world, then I don't know where you have been. We are despised by absolutely everyone. Manchester City think they have some, a massive rivalry with Man United. You're from Manchester. It is your closest uh, neighbours. Um, that is your rivalry. And yet Man United wanted used to win the league over Liverpool. Liverpool hated. We've got we are the biggest club in English football. We've won the most major titles. Our history is incredible. We are adored by the fans. Everyone wants to believe Anfield's not special. Everyone wants to believe that Trent is not an unbelievable right back. How much does Trent Alexander Arnold get ridiculed when he's one of the best right backs, if not the best right back in football? You're just, if you're that good, if you wear the Liverpool badge, if you're the Premier League team. You're always gonna get ridiculed just because you're at the highest level, um, and I mean, every single player who puts on a red shirt's gonna get ridiculed if you get if you play, no matter what age you are, because there are people there who despise Liverpool Football Club, um, and there are some sad people who literally feed off other people being absolutely, you know, atrocious. Um, but <laughs> that is just part and parcel of being a footballer. Um, that is literally football. It, it is you, rivals don't want other fans to uh, other fans to be happy, other teams to do well, because if Liverpool are doing well, it means maybe they're taking a title off City or whatever, and City don't want that. Um, so I think a lot of people look into it a bit too much. It is just football. It's social media, unless it's direct. I think the only difference with this one was you could tell it was getting to Darwin Nunes because of the fact that he put something on Twitter. But at the end of the day, unless it's extremely bad, if someone's just taking the mick out of someone missing or being crap in a game of football, I can deal with that. I can deal with it because you're basing Darwin Nunes off 30 minutes of football in one game. I'm not stupid enough to, to look into that. Um, I'll know that when the time comes, if there's a ball in the box, he's going to be lethal, and I saw that with his second goal against uh, against Leipzig the other day, that deaf touch. But I mean, um, I'm just not stupid enough to read into these things.
0: I mean, just to first like bring it back slightly to the pre-season thing, I think you bang on about style of play in terms of being one of the things that you can gauge from it. And I think the whole dynamic with Salah is one of the most interesting aspects of the signing, to be honest, personally. And there have actually been signs that I reckon have, Understanding and kind of developing there, some kind of encouraging ones whilst they do get used to each other, like you're saying. Um, and on and on the kind of second part of the answer about you know the question that I asked about kind of like the size of the club, what annoys me about it in a very immature and and selfish way is that I kind of, and this is you know, if i if any non Liverpool fans listen to this, I think you know they will kind of scoff and rightfully so probably, but I kind of feel like we are the good guys at the top of the table at the moment. Like I look at our squad. Yeah. And in terms of players who are unlikable, I think Robertson can be, you know, a little bit of a wind up merchant, Harvey Elliott's kind of got this kind of arrogance about him in fairness, um, which you're going to enjoy if you support the team and probably resent uh, if you don't. Other than that, I think it's a really kind of likeable group of players, to be honest. And, you know, how how often do you hear fans of other teams talk about how much they like Klopp um, as well? And, you know, going up against City and and kind of the nature of that that project that they have, I don't know, the most naive part of me kind of wishes that um, there would be kind of more people in Liverpool's corner, but I understand, because of the size of the club, um, really, that that's not going to happen, and that everyone's priority is just kind of this pause on which Liverpool's are failing. You know, the whole thing makes me makes me question. I've always kind of wondered, you know, which of the two clubs is is like bigger, Man United or Liverpool? But the past the past few weeks, I may I've maybe think Liverpool might even have an edge to be honest, because you know it's easy for me to say that a hundred percent, but and it's and it, people celebrate a lot when Man United fail. Don't get me wrong, but. Have I seen some of the things I've been seeing about Man United, about Liverpool in the same context as Man United? I don't necessarily think so. Um, to be honest. But um I want to move it on to kind of the the more internal side, but I'll let you come back in first, Chloe.
2: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Liverpool there and, and how big we are and how we're hated. Um that's just natural to me now, but what we haven't mentioned there of, of people also hating Liverpool is the damage of what this government did do to us and the damage of what newspapers did to us because I remember after Wolves we lost, we, we, we obviously won but we lost the league and I remember I was on a bus to Sandals and some Wolves fans were on it, um, some some maybe 20-year-old girls and their dads or whoever they were going with. And I remember I was at Sandhills train station and the they were out and out. They'd celebrated. They were like, Liverpool can't say they won the league. You know, there's no difference between finishing second or eighth or whatever, wherever they finished. And they were trying to rile up Liverpool fans around them. And one Liverpool fan just turned around and was like, lad, I'd shut up if I was you, because you just don't want to rile a Liverpool fan up. And a a police officer had to get involved, but just to tell them to shut up, because they could see they were trying to get on people. And this woman, who must have been early 20s, the the girl turned around and went, at least we don't kill our own fans. And that is when I realised I have never, ever, ever heard anyone say anything like that and I've heard chants of it in in Anfield from the opposition end and I've but I've never directly stood next to someone and have someone say something like that about Hillsborough I just I've never thankfully I've never had to deal with that but a Wolves fan out of nowhere when you finished eighth in Liverpool having got won the title on the last day of the season somehow that led them to say these words and then it hit me how much that what happened then still truly affects Liverpool as a city now. Liverpool is the city, Liverpool is the football club. People just can't get out of their heads what happened on that day and how we were lied about and still like to believe the lies. And a lot of that have hurt us, um, because these are things that we're subjected to constantly and maybe we're also hated because people can't see the truth of that. But that also reminded me how much you know, there's 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 no point in dealing with rival fans in, them, in that terms because people do dig, they, they, they go too loud because they've got nothing else to say. And when that person said, I mean, a young girl saying that out of her mouth, I just thought to myself, something that happened so long ago is still tarnishing every single Liverpool fan here who goes the game, every single person in this city. And even to this day now, when the truth's out there, people still want to believe that and use that as an excuse to hate us. So no matter the way you look at it, not just that we hate it because of our, our history, how good we are, the our manager, our players, we're also hated for stuff that we were, you know, we were, we're clear lies that were made by the government and the newspapers. And sadly, that will never, ever, ever again.
0: I think, I think you're bang on there. To be yeah. honest, um, and it kind of isn't something I've thought about about too much, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in that there is an element of a strong element of like anti-sort of scout sentiments. I think in the country stemming from yeah. you know the lies that that were told, and that's not going to be entirely separable. Um, it's just is is a reality from from the football side, given how you know bigger parts footballers of a lot of people's lives so yeah i think that's definitely a factor too and it's a bit of a more sort of sinister one really kind of as an undercurrent there um but having kind of talked about the external side of sort of social media and perceptions of liverpool um let's talk about kind of in in this part of the podcast um the internal sort of twitter discourse at liverpool and really, I'd say that there's kind of two sides, um, to Liverpool Twitter. Um, i not everyone will, will fit into this, but the, the label that gets used quite a lot um, and kind of derogatory way is like top red and inverted commas. Um, and again, this is very much like a twi- Twitter echo chamber kind of discussion. Um, but what it comes down to really, if you've not heard that label before is the optimists against the pessimists and there's going to be that device in every single fan base that's just the way it is and that's just how it's framed at liverpool and if you want to kind of a, a manifestation of it this summer i'd say you look at the midfielder debate by which i mean do liverpool need to sign a new midfielder a lot of people are saying yes what are the club doing they're setting themselves setting themselves up for failure then you've got the optimists on the other side saying no, look at the starting options we have. Look at the young players we've got. Have faith in the team, et cetera. So that's really kind of a representation of it. Um, Chris, I'll bring you back in now. How do you see this kind of optimist-pessimist divide um, on Liverpool Twitter, um, the kind of top red um, situation? And are you yourself kind of in a middle ground, do you think where you can kind of sympathise with with both, or do you kind of lean more towards one side as a really optimistic fan, or as
1: maybe a little bit more of a, a cautious, guarded one? It's a very good. That's a very good set of questions. Um, in terms of how I see it, sometimes I do see a tweet or so, and it's quite an outlandish opinion. But um, I'm someone who observes more than gets involved in the in the kind of debates to be honest with you I'm someone that likes to read opinions and I'll read comments and I'll read different ways that people are taking it as opposed to actually voicing my views half the time I I normally um, I think I saw um, a brilliant tweet once and it's something like uh, Twitter is sometimes you just talking to yourself uh, until somebody randomly replies. Um, and I don't think that's me uh, from time to time, to be honest. Um, in terms of how I class myself, I would say that I would be lying if I didn't want another midfielder. Um, but at the same time, then I can't, you know, so I suppose you could maybe class that as the pessimistic side, I guess. But then you take a step back and I realise that Jürgen Klopp has earned the faith of every single Liverpool fan and then some more because that man is very, very good at his job. And if he is calm about the situation, I think we should also be calm about the situation. We're allowed we're allowed to want things, of course. Absolutely. But say for example, Jude Bellingham. It would be a, I think he'd be a brilliant signing, but if you remember back to 2017, there was a lot of clamour to bring in a centre-back. Again, Twitter was going wild with those kind of things, and a centre-back didn't come in. Why? Because there was one centre-back that he wanted, and he came in in January 2018. And quite frankly, the rest is history. And there were a little bit so many people saying, "Just buy, just buy a, a 30 million pound centre-back. Just buy a 40 million pound centre-back." There was one centre-back on the face of this planet that Jurgen Klopp wanted. And, of course, it got a bit messy in the summer of 2017 when the club released a statement. But Bridges rebuilt and Virgil van Dijk came in in the January. And sometimes it's just a call for calm because it's almost a a bit insulting as well. I totally get what Chloe means in terms of letting stuff blow over your head. But it's almost a bit insulting to the players that are available at the club. Because, again, you, you kind of disregard people. Curtis Jones is still incredibly young. Harvey Elliott's not even 20 yet. I cannot wait to see Fabio Carvalho in an attacking midfield role this season. So it's not as if Liverpool don't have options in midfield. Liverpool have plenty of options in midfield. And for some, it's just a case of game time. Because the more game time you get... The, the better that you are likely to become. You're going to learn things. You're going to become more experienced. And I get, again, it's the whole knee-jerk thing Maybe people can be pessimistic and things like that. But, yeah, I would say I don't necessarily put myself into each camp. And, again, I'm more of an observer than someone that will reply to somebody and say, oh, that's ridiculous or or something like that. But people are entitled to their opinions but I just think sometimes I do see tweets and it's tough and it's good sometimes to take a step back take a calmer perspective of it and then realize look you guys can think that if you're you know some people are just very happy putting their stuff out in the open you know all sorts of opinions but I would say I like to kind of observe and like analyze a bit more before jumping into things. So
0: what I can kind of glean from that is uh, you seem to be very like balanced in, in your perspective where you can definitely see arguments on, on both sides generally mm-hmm. and you know I would say from that answer you would maybe lean more towards being the optimist because you know kind of trust and clop really is the thing you, you seem to come back to yeah um
1: I just think as well because we, we, we're talking a bit about mental health eh, haven't we and it's like yeah I I just prefer just to look at life in a better way. Yeah. Just because, you know, we're not here forever. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, you're down after defeats, you're down after results that didn't go your way, those kind of things. But um, football is, apart from family, football is the biggest thing in my life. I literally don't know what I'd do without it. Um, But at the same time, it would drive me insane if I went on Twitter and started arguing with somebody That wasn't even in the same room as me. Yeah. (laughs) So that's I don't I don't I don't often reply to people when they tweet and stuff. But if someone replied to me, so I'll have a conversation. But I'm not going to argue with someone that I'm not seeing face to face.
0: Yeah, and I think I don't really I I wouldn't necessarily do that either. I think what what I kind of do is you know a lot of the time to be honest is. I see tweets, and this is from people kind of really on both sides of the, the, the spectrum that I kind of outlined, and I'm like, I kind of like scut- just scoff at them privately, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you sound like a little bit of a parody of yourself in some respects. Um, I think, you know, with me personally, um, I I'm probably more towards, I'm certainly near the middle, but I'm probably more towards kind of the wouldn't say pessimistic as such but kind of guarded um and but not think, one
1: things can always get better
0: yeah 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 that, that kind of thing really so an example is like last season i predicted that we would finish third um in, in the league um and i did that as kind of like you know chelsea just won the champions league i didn't know where we were going to be at and i'm thinking like i just looked at that as kind of like a rational thing um and I try when I make predictions just to kind of do it rationally and not kind of do sort of hope as opposed yeah. to expectation kind of thing. Um so I think people would look at me saying kind of third for especially given how close you were to win it and thinking, you know, maybe you are too pessimistic and and maybe I am to a degree. Um but you you know, Chloe, we do on this podcast, or we certainly did for a while, like we predict um games um pretty much every week um, and it would always be me kind of probably going with the lowest score line and then you and Dan would be kind of competing for who would have the biggest winner margin really um, and I think I was kind of the only one who would ever kind of go for a draw um, for example um, so you of kind of you seem to be kind of very much an optimistic fan and, and that's like you know completely legitimate because you know this Liverpool side is probably the, the best Liverpool team ever um, to a degree so where do, you, where do you sit on the, the optimism-pessimism scale, do you think that we kind of see manifested on Twitter? And also, second part of the question, whether or not you kind of involve yourself in it, because I don't think you necessarily do to a great extent, do you think it has become a little bit toxic as a platform because of these kind of internal arguments that go on? Um, I think, for
2: me, I when you say optimistic um I just have belief there's no point like what so what I don't like doing is I don't like jinxing things that is one of my things when it comes to football I don't like predicting scores for finals because I don't like jinxing it and that's just me I understand sometimes I I used to always think in terms of You know, don't go with the maybe lower score so then you're not disappointed if it doesn't happen or whatever. But right now, I believe in the squad. I believe in Jürgen Klopp. I believe, if I didn't have belief as a supporter, I don't care who you are. West Ham must have had belief at some part last season to get into the Champions League. No matter, their fans must have believed that. And you have a right to. If you do not believe as a football fan, no matter who you support, whether that belief is you staying up or you getting into Europa League, Champions League, winning it. If you don't have belief, then there's absolutely no point in becoming a football fan. And there's no point, even if you're Everton and you're thinking, oh, we're going to be in a relegation battle again. You've still got to have belief that you actually won't and you'll surprise yourself somewhere really, really deep. You'll have it. There is no point in supporting a football club if secretly somewhere deep deep down you don't have belief or if you don't have the dream of actually doing something and achieving something. And with Liverpool, it's now at the point where I've always loved our system of buying in terms of, yeah, I'd like us to buy more, but I love that we're not like Manchester City. We're not like, you know, your Man United where you spend absolutely millions and millions and just win everything. I like the fact that we have to win stuff to make money, to then reinvest it because it feels 10 times better when you actually win something. And there, week in, week out, if you were on the cop and you turned around and you shouted something of negative to the side, I'd turn around to you and tell you to shut up. I would because there's no point in you taking a seat off someone in the, in the stands who'd actually get behind the team and sit there if you're gonna to come to a football game and shit all over Curtis Jones playing in midfield then just don't show up if you're not here to support each and every person who puts on that red shirt as long I don't care what level you're at Takumi Minamino if you give absolutely everything for the badge I cannot turn around and hate you you may not be at Liverpool's Level, but I will not dislike you. I'll wish you the best of luck and I'll support you every time you put that shirt on. So, for me, it's a case of get behind each and every player who plays because, at the end of the day, the only way you're winning stuff is by everyone enjoying being where they are, being fully supported. You've seen what Anfield as a crowd has for the players, it gives them the adrenaline, it gives them the ability to. Lose the Champions League final, but then go and win it the next year. Lose out by a point in the Premier League, but then win it the next year. They're not just doing it for themselves, they're doing it for the people around them in the stadium, the people in the world who generally every single week give them the support to go and do it. I mean, Jürgen Klopp wouldn't have extended his contract here if we didn't have the, the sound and the belief and positivity we have in Anfield. And at times it can get a little bit you know, if it's a boring game or we've not been at our best, you know, people to turn around and be like, oh my God, we're doing crap!" Yeah, But instead of saying that, you know, we go 1-0 down, the crowd's roaring, singing our name again for us to build us back up. If you get on someone's back who's not playing very well, it's not going to make them play any better, believe it or not. You going on Twitter and turning around, telling LFC we need to buy a midfielder, they don't care who you're on. LeBron James could go and tell Liverpool to buy a midfielder. Liverpool wouldn't do it. <laughs> you, you saying on, on Twitter and tagging people to sign players just isn't going to do Not And so you might as well just sit back and read it and move on with your life. Yeah, you can have your own opinion, but there's no need to go over the top because at the end of the day, no one at Liverpool Football Club's going to be searching Chloe Bloxham on what she thinks because it's just that truthful. I can guarantee no one at, at Liverpool Football Club really knows who i am never mind the fact that if i want the midfielder or not so at the end of the day what my belief is just get behind every single player who's on that pitch because the only way we're going to win is by having that 12th man that is so vitally important to liverpool football club and it has always been you've seen what james madison said when you know we beat them in it i think it was the carabao cup it was the greatest atmosphere at the ground And that is what we constantly need to prove because we are the 12th man for Liverpool Football Club. That's what we're known for. And yet Twitter can be get a bit toxic. But isn't every social media platform? I mean, you're always going to have players who. I mean, we we, our last show was on the LGBTQ plus community. Well, we I was at a pride event yesterday with Liverpool, um, a tournament for them. And there's people who have other religions and beliefs who disagree with that and stop following Liverpool because of it. And I think what we need to understand is there's match day going fans. There's fans who sit on the fence and just enjoy watching Liverpool. And then there's fans who are absolutely in it for the negativity and for the reaction and the, for, for the controversy. There is people like that. Um and I think you need to take a, a pinch of salt with what everyone puts on Twitter because it's really not like anyone at Liverpool Football Club's going to be taking advice from a football fan, uh, no matter who you are. Um, so the, the for the best experience to be in that ground for me, you want everyone to be behind the team. You want it to be a good atmosphere. Um, and if 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 it's all negative around Liverpool Football Club in the stadium it'd be absolutely awful to go to a football game and just hear people moaning so you might as well just get behind the team because it makes your your you, you living in that moment much better to be singing those songs to be behind the players for it to mean even more um and and that's just how i how, how i do it now i believe in every aspect of the football club people can say what they want about fsg I'm in the middle where t- you saying anything's not going to change anything. So, um, you know, take the positives from what we can. Um, they're not awful owners. They're not, you know, like what anyone else is moaning about in the Premier League. We're, we're, we're still up there. We're doing our stuff. We've signed Jane We've given Mo Salah what he wants. You know, at this point, I'm just very much in a part of, Liverpool are doing well. Be happy while it lasts because this team is the greatest team you'll probably ever see and just get behind them because there's no point in not because it makes your experience much better.
1: It'll never not make me laugh seeing seeing people tweet accounts saying signs as if the Twitter ad back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there was um, an official club account that I saw um, talking about that the other day. Um, it, it must um, yeah, drive the... <laughs> the admins quite mad to be fair but I think I mean first of all Chloe like this is something I wanted to say myself earlier like on the belief side you kind of bang on because it's kind of like with the quadruple thing last year it's like be along for the ride almost it's like I can I think being optimistic is inherently better maybe maybe not just you know in life but with football as well you know there's obviously an element of you know protecting yourself against you know, being too crushed and, you know, last season was, you know, the way it ended was kind of crushed in a way, but also it's like to kind of enjoy it fully, like almost what's the point of, of being negative and what's the point in not being kind of hopeful. Um, but I want to, I want to stay with you, Chloe, and then I'll come back to you, Chris, because I'm pretty sure that you guys are like virtually every game, don't you? So, you're probably the best uh, person to comment on this. How, because we, we a lot of the time when we're talking about narratives around players, what, what we mean is narratives that are on are on Twitter, basically. But how much, when you hear that, do you think Twitter actually represents what it's like when you're at Anfield, surrounded by all the fans? Because, you know, I probably go to like somewhere between five and ten games a season, not that many, but you're kind of in there every week. So you can probably give us like a... a a bit of insight into into maybe the differences that might be there in kind of sentiment.
2: Um, there's absolutely no correlation. Um, LFC Twitter is not much they get fans. I don't know how many times. That, like I've already said it several times on this podcast, but throughout the entire season, Uh, like I said on the cop if you shown up on the cop and you started slating a footballer the cop would turn around here and tell you to shut up and get behind them that's just what it is like um there are some groans and moans here when you know say it's been 45 minutes we've not woken up we've not been brilliant and you know we try and do a 40-yard pass and it goes absolutely near no one there are times like that with you know groans and stuff, which is natural when it comes to football. But generally, it's very much a case of getting behind the teams, enjoying what it is the uh, for what taking it for what it is. Basically, um, I don't, I don't sit there in the ground and chat about midfielders and what we should have done. No one mentions that kind of stuff to me. They'll they turn around and talk about maybe our opposition isn't this a good player? You know, or have you seen who's on the bench? There's When I go the game, there is and also I follow a lot of people who I go the games with on Twitter, and like they said, they're they're constantly saying LFC Twitter could not be any further apart from what it's actually like for us inside the stadium because um, we try and look at the positives in in a football game. And like you mentioned last season with the quadruple, did I think we'd ever do it? No, but did I have belief? Absolutely. I thought it was not... It w- I thought it wasn't... In reality, we probably couldn't do it, but I dreamt about it, of course I did. I dreamt about winning absolutely everything and Everton going down on top of it. I dreamt about all of that. The reality of it was very unlikely, but I dreamt about it. And you have the lowest and the highs, and you've got to ride with everyone because the lowest the lowest is what gives you the highest moments of winning things. Us losing out on the Champions League... And the the league, it made me not want to watch football for several months. I was glad the season's over. Now, I can't wait to go again. I can't wait to watch Liverpool week in, week out. I can't wait to go and try and win it all again. And if we do win next season, whether it be the Champions League or the Premier League, it will feel much, much more sweeter after going through what happened last season, especially in the way we lost it, because... We haven't gone out and blown the budget and spent millions all over the place. You know We've reinvested, we've sold players who were integral to us and we've replaced them and we've just gone again. Um, and I, when I go on Twitter and I see the controversial things, like the, there's there's stuff on there, like most is not as good as we all think and things like, it couldn't be any further from... I mean, we, we mentioned the Sadio money thing where people on Twitter generally thought in the grounds, we didn't sing Mane's name and we absolutely hated him, I don't know what Twitter that was, but that if if any of them actually went to a football game at Anfield, you'd understand how much this crowd adored Sadio Mane being a Liverpool player Um, and, and that's just another aspect of it that's another part of Twitter that whether it just be the fact of he's from Africa, he's one African player of the year and he thought that he wasn't treated well because we didn't give him a parade for winning Afghan nations. When we've got Salah there, I don't know, but um, it couldn't be any further apart. Liverpool, Twitter, and, and and being inside the ground because, uh, inside the ground, I I can't explain the experience week in week out. I'd never give it up for anything in my life. Um, to just be there, it, it's like going out with your mates. Like you, you never people around me in the ground. I don't see we can like I will throughout this entire pre-season since football stopped, I haven't seen them but when I get inside that ground every week I'll give them a hug and I'll see them and I'll laugh with them I, they're part of my family because you adore Liverpool Football Club as much as you adore them in those moments and you get the you know being surrounded by them for the highs of Liverpool is incredible um, and it's the best moment of your life so there's just the, the LFC Twitter I just don't look at it very much to be honest
0: and I think maybe that means kind of, I guess, kind of going forward. And when we talk about it, we've got to be mindful, um, you know, even even on this podcast of like saying, oh, he's had loads of criticism. And then you're like, well, who's actually criticising them really? And how kind of close is he to that? And maybe that kind of links back in with what we were saying earlier in terms of how much do players themselves actually engage with it? Um, but really to kind of tie everything together um i'll ask you both this as like a final question do you think having you know twitter as a space to discuss football do you find that to be a good thing bottom line um chris what are your thoughts on that i mean it's kind of a big question like how, how do you sort of approach it um at this present moment and do you think that there is kind of too much toxicity on there to be kind of just as enjoyable as maybe it should be?
1: I think social media is a good thing because it gives people a voice. It gives people freedom of speech, which ultimately uh, we we all have. Um, but again, it harks back to the conversation there was, uh, I think, earlier in the year. Certainly, over the last few years. That a lot of people that will criticize, say for example, football Twitter, if you want to kind of coin it into one area, they'll have a footballer as their avatar, they'll have their um, they'll have their handle as some sort of pun or play on words involving a player's name. so there is no way to actually identify the person. That is criticizing them, albeit, of course, you do get some people that you can identify. But it, it might even hark back to that whole identification thing because if, if Twitter said to me, oh, all of a sudden, oh, we need proof of who you are, we need proof of who you are to update your account or your account gets uh, blocked or whatever. Sounds, yeah, I'll just send them details, or prove it's me, and that's absolutely fine. There's a lot of people that aren't held to accountability, of course, then you are kind of walking into the whole, you know, into the racism debate and everything like that, which which is absolutely horrendous. So when Twitter is good, it's great. But unfortunately, when Twitter and social media is bad and goes the other way, it's very difficult to stop it because at the same time, say somebody does tweet something abusive to a player, then if people go in on them and start criticising them, that person knows they can just sit back, put their phone to one side for an hour, don't even need to look at the replies, and they can just get on with their life while other people are being angry, talking at someone that they've got no idea who they are. So it's it's a bit of a vicious circle, if I'm honest, and I think that's why I don't get as involved as perhaps other people, just because I don't like being confrontational with someone that I'm not seeing, I mean I like being confrontational anyway, but being confrontational with someone that I'm not seeing face to face it just doesn't make sense um, so well, yeah when it is good, Twitter is absolutely fantastic and in a way players and fans are more connected than they have ever been before in terms of all around the world just because there's Every Liverpool fan of the world can't fit into Anfield in one go. But I totally get what Chloe means. Going to the game is a very different experience than just sitting at home and watching. Going to Anfield is incredible. I cannot wait for the game against Crystal Palace. I'm you know, <laughs> counting down the days for it. It's going to be amazing walking back in there. Even something as off as, you know, as random as this, like last season, we talk about all the great goals from last season. One of my favourite goals ever for Liverpool was Diogo Jota's goal against Burnley because it was the first time for 528 days we celebrated a Liverpool goal in front of a full Anfield. And that was amazing. So there are definitely two sides to it. Um, At no point can I say social media is all bad because there are plenty of good parts to it. But yeah, unfortunately, there are some people that don't use it in the way that I think it should be used.
0: I think it's 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 kind of a question, really, that could have its own podcast, you know, completely. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, say after Liverpool win, I think, you know, I'd really enjoy, you know, scrolling through my Twitter feed. Like, um, like, like, like. Yeah, like. exactly. That's what it is. It's just like, it's such a positive space. And being able to have this forum, is I don't really take it for granted, you know, where we all have this forum where we can discuss. You know, you mentioned earlier, Chris, where it's like, Twitter's, like, saying things until someone replies to it and, like, <laughs> it it's yeah. a little bit closer to holding back. Someone's
1: actually replied. Yeah, <laughs> what
0: it's because the... <laughs> the amount of things that we kind of, like, put out there, you know, that we think is maybe kind of a really good take or something like that and, like, people people maybe don't engage. Like, obviously, you know, that that's a factor, but, you know, just being able to have your kind of voice in the discussion, you know, I do appreciate that. But me personally, like, I think maybe the best way to use Twitter in terms of a football way, and you know, maybe even a broader way than that, is like if you make a list. You know, you can make lists on Twitter. If you make a list of the accounts whose thoughts and and tweets and content you truly value, and yeah. you scroll through that instead, as opposed to just your main feed and and kind of everything that kind of clogs that up in a way, I think that is going to be a much more satisfying user experience than. Than when you go onto it, otherwise, and kind of everything's a little bit more messy. To be honest, and that's when maybe you start to question, you know, how much should it be, you know, going on this. But Chloe, what's your approach and kind of attitude to Twitter when you're kind of scrolling through it and, and reading all the, you know, the Liverpool content that that you'll follow, obviously.
2: Um, I like I said that I only follow people who. either go the match with or follow people who I generally like the content of that I know of um so I mean there's there's certain people I won't mention who I won't like because I feel like they just have controversial opinions and post it for the viewers and the likes and reading that people can get annoyed with it of course because it's just some of them are just out like stupid um but for, for me I think once again there's there's two ways to look at it social media it connects people it brings people together i'm a very very lucky fan i i don't take for granted that the fact that i go the games i know that there's millions of people across the world who wish they had uh, wish they were in my position and therefore maybe for whatever reason they can't get to the games or they just be they live in a different part of the world and liverpool connects you to other people i mean We've already mentioned, and I don't know about yours, but generally there is nothing I care about more in my life than Liverpool, than football in general, but specifically Liverpool. Liverpool is my life, and it can be It can be a bit too much in terms of my mood will be determined by how Liverpool play. If Liverpool haven't played well, we've dropped points or whatever, for that week, until we play again and prove ourselves, I won't be in my greatest mood and maybe that's not good mentally or whatever, but that is just how much Liverpool means to me. And there are people across the world who wish they could talk about Liverpool and wish they had other people like that who they maybe don't know face to face or they may not be surrounded by. None of my mates like football at all so for for that reason Twitter's good because you can make friends or you can go to the games with people or there's people you know there's supporter clubs now from wherever you you live in the world so for that reason it's especially good um to be able to communicate with other people and have your own opinions and freak speak speak freely it's very good but on the opposite side of that is if there is certain people who decide to send death threats or be racist or you know discriminate someone for whatever reason homophobia anything like that um it's very easy for a lot of people to do that and mentally destroy someone whether that be a fan or a player um and and not have any consequences for their actions and that isn't correct um there's there's far too many situations of the season where people have been it's like, oh, that's fine. We'll block this this Twitter handle. That's done it. We'll don't money, they'll just go and create another Twitter handle with a different email. It is far too easy for that to happen and for that person to then carry on abusing people in the way that they do. Um so but but like every social media, it has good sides and bad sides. And I think the side that we're talking about, where people become too aggressive and abuse people racially or whatever. Um, I think it's down to Twitter itself to either get people's details or however they do it. It's for Twitter alone and these Instagram, all of these, to make these people who create accounts have some sort of consequences. If they do um, do these things like racially abuse someone, it is far too easy for, for someone to racially abuse someone and get away with it and create another account and go again and do it to someone else. Um, but like I said, until Twitter, Instagram, um, all of all of these social medias have that in place where someone will get repercussions for doing stuff and not just get blocked, um, and and they've got to be held accountable, then I think it'll be a much better place because if if something's got your details where they can give it to someone else and say this person's just racially abused someone and you know, you know that that social media can do that obviously they're going to be less likely to do it because they don't want to be phoned by the police or whatever it's put if it's put to the police and say we've got evidence are you racially abusing someone for missing an open goal you know something so stupid like that um so i think it's good and bad it just needs it needs more support in terms of mental health aspects and everything
0: yeah i mean there's there's layers of of problems uh really and you know in terms of like severity and the levels of that and you know about the, the things you know we're talking about in terms of twitter maybe being a little bit toxic and and getting your mood down in, in some respects it's like that's one thing and then obviously there's the whole you know issue about abuse as well and really you know a lot of the, the things we're talking about here are worth like i say like a full podcast in themselves but um We'll wrap this one up now. Um, so thanks very much, uh, Chris and Chloe, um, for you know getting involved in, in the discussion. I think it's been uh, really interesting. Um, so we're obviously now building up um back to back towards the start of the season. The Community Shield is next weekend, um, and then the following weekend, Liverpool get a season underway um, against Fulham. So stay with us um, for the lead up to that, and uh, obviously into the season as well. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast to uh, give it a five-star review on Spotify, please. And also recommend it to any of your friends. So yeah, we will see you uh, next week, probably before the Community Shield. And yeah, as Chloe Bloxham would say, up the reds.